welcome back. Been another wild, wacky week. And we get together yet again another Thursday night, another Chumash and Shalant extravaganza. And we're up to Shalach. Wow. Parsha's just like racing down the, the road over here. Shalach, these are already like summertime Parshias, you know? Shalach, <clears throat> Kairach, Chukas, and then points beyond. These are, you know, we feel the summer already. These are the summertime Parshias. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Shalach over here. <clears throat> so let's begin with the end, meaning the end of Baha'u which Rashi tells us connects to the beginning of Shalach. Rashi wants to know why um, we have this juxtaposition of the incident of Miriam that happens at the end of Baal Miriam says Lashon Hara about Moshe Rabbeinu. Miriam becomes a Metzoira. Miriam gets harassed, quarantined for a week. That's the end of Baal And we begin, begin Shlach with the incident of the Meraglim, the spies, spying at Eretz Yisrael. Very sad and tragic uh, 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 chapter in the history of Kleist. So why are we putting Miriam next to the Meraglim? <clears throat> and Rashi says that the Meraglim were supposed to take Musr from Miriam. They were supposed to take Musr. They saw the incident of Miriam. They saw what happened with Miriam. It says, Rashi, the Rishoyim Halalu, these Rishoyim, that's the other ten spies, Ro, they saw what happened with Miriam. What happened? Shelaksa, Miriam was punished. She was punished for saying Lashon Hara about Moshe Rabbeinu. And these Rishonim saw that. Everyone saw that. Everybody knew that Miriam became a Mitzayra for Lashon Hara. They didn't take Musr. They didn't take Musr. They were supposed to take Musr. That's why they put the Meraglim next to Miriam because the Meraglim was supposed to learn from Miriam not to become the Meraglim, but they didn't learn. They didn't learn the lesson. The lesson was already presented for them. That's what the Torah is telling us. There's already a lesson that uh, was present. Was present. Speaking of present... What's, what's going on over here? What's, what's up with this? All right. I don't know. But um, what can we do? What can we do, Rabbi Say? Shveragolus. Shveragolus. Huh? Shveragolus. Chaim. Questions like this. Musr, I mean, we know anyone that's been to yeshiva, or anyone that's been around people that's been to yeshiva, you know Musr right away. Musr means what? Rebuke. Rebuke. It means self-improvement. It means working on yourself, right? Ron, you got any Musr when you were there in North Samak? Yeah. All right. You got a lot of Musr there, right? Shivas, we hear Musr, right? Nachum Simcha. Got a lot of Musr there in Eshatera. Musr. Rebuke. Discipline. Self-improvement. And says Rashi, they should have taken Musr, certain amount of rebuke and discipline from Miriam. And, and Rashi is saying, if they would have taken Musr from Miriam, they would not have committed the, the whole uh, tragic and sordid affair that we have in Pashlach. Pashlach wouldn't have happened if they would have taken Musr. But, but let's, let's explore what that means. What does it mean, taken Musr? Taken Musr from Miriam. From Miriam, who got punished for saying Lashon Hara. Saying Lashon about. Who did she say Lashon Har about? Moshe Rabbeinu. Who did they say Lashon Har about? 
Eretz Yisrael. Their Lashon Hara was on Eitzim Va'avanim, sticks and stones, a shtick dreared, shtick erred, on, on, on clods of dirt, on, 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 on property, real estate, karka. They're saying Lashon Hara, Diba, Diba's Haaretz, on, on Eretz Yisrael, not on the Rebbein Shalalem, not on Moshe, not on Kalev, not on Yeshua, on Eretz Yisrael. How are they supposed to figure out from Miriam saying Lashon Hara, Moshe Rabbeinu, they're supposed to extrapolate from there. Oh, we better not say Lashonar about Eretz Yisrael. You're talking about A, going from a human being to an inanimate object, to sticks and stones, to dirt and dust. And B, you're talking about Lashonar on the leader of Kala Yisrael, on Moshe Rabbeinu, on of Mikol Adam, Kol Beisi Nemanu, on Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the leader, the, 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 the supreme leader, the chief, the boss, the one that brought the Torah down for them, the one that that uh, that uh, is there for all their needs and all their clutching and complaining. Moshe Rabbeinu, Midas Hanetzach, the great Nehelegar Moshe, they're supposed to learn from the fact that Miriam gets punished for starting up with Moshe that they're gonna they better not start up with Eretz Yisrael, with sticks and stones. What what's this supposed to mean? Taking Moshe from Moshe? Yeah, taking Moshe from Moshe. I better not say Lashnara on Moshe. That's what I learned from Moshe. Even if we're not talking about Eretz Yisrael, even if we were talking about like a, a simple Jew, you're gonna be able to figure out. Well, if Miriam said Lashnara Moshe, she got punished. So, I, I, if I say Lashon on a simple Yid, like a homeless guy, I better not do that. I'm going to learn that from Moshe. Even extrapolating from Moshe to a simple Yid is not going to work. You know, we, we, there's a flaw in that logic. Because Miriam got punished for starting up with the, the, the creme de la creme, the, the, the top banana, the chief, the supreme leader. How are you supposed to take Musa from that? Because of how Moshe was born. That's right, because her Moshe was born. So even, even worse, her... her uh, her, uh, you know, um, the crime of her saying Lashon Hara, the crime of the treason of her saying Lashon Hara on, uh, on Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's, that's understandable that Miriam gets punished for starting up with Moshe Rabbeinu. That, that makes a lot of sense to us. How are we holding the Miraglim accountable for, they should have, you know, figured out from there that Miriam got punished for starting up with the, the Moshe himself. We better not say Lashon Hara on a bunch of dirt. On sticks and stones. So, how are they being held accountable for this? How are we, how are we blaming them for this? And, and what ultimately is going to be the shot in this Rashi? Rashi saying that's why you're putting Miriam and the Miragma together, because they should have learned their lesson from Miriam. The lesson from Miriam is irrelevant to what they did. Totally irrelevant. So, this is the first question over here. Pretty significant question. You're supposed to learn your lesson. Don't say Lashnara on, you know, racks and trees and geographical locations and coordinates because. Of what happened when Miriam said Lashon Hara on, on the greatest leader that we ever had. How, how are they supposed to extrapolate one from the other? That's question number one. Question number two. You know, we're used to thinking about the Miraglim in the following way. We're used to thinking about the Miraglim. Bold Chonsi, there's, there's a delicious Chonsi over there. You sure? It's delicious. Delicious Chonsi. Um, um, we're used to think about the Miraglim. The Miraglim were a bunch of these, uh, these ruffians, these no-good people, these uh, troublemakers, and they, you know, um, insisted on spying out the land. Klal Yisrael, together with them, insisted on this. Let's go. Let's go. We'll go for it. The Rebbein is not interested, we know. 
and they do this over the protests of everyone, and they kind of like push it through. That's how we're used to thinking about this. The Miraglim and, and, and the Klai Yisrael as their, as their um, you know, um, designating them as their delegates, kind of pushes this through against everybody's better judgment. And we all know what happens. You know, the, 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 again, the, the uh, tragedy that, that unfolds over here in the rest of the parish, everybody knows what, what happens next. The truth is, you know, it doesn't take a lot of research to uncover the fact that Moshe himself was, was one of the key players in the story of the Miraglim. Moshe had a very critical involvement. Moshe played a, a, a central role in the story of the spies and in dispatching the spies. It wasn't over Moshe's protests, not at all. Moshe never protested. In fact, look at the opening line of the parsha. Send for yourself spies. Shlach lecha. Who's lecha? Moshe. For yourself. Send for yourself, Moshe. And Rashi says right away, what's shlach lecha? Says Rashi, ladaitcha. Send, you know, if you think it's a good idea, you send. Send according to your judgment. Not according to mine, says, says Rashi, quoting HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ani, any mitzavalach, I'm not telling you to send spies. Im if you want Moshe, you send the spies. I don't think it's a good idea, says the Rebbein Shalalem. I'm against this. If you think it's a good idea, you send them. That's Hashem's tongue to Moshe. So what happened the other day? The, the spies went and they didn't go. They went. So if we put Rashi together with the story, if they went... And Rashi's telling us that Hashem told Moshe, if you want to send them, if you think it's a good idea, you send them. That means Moshe thought it was a good idea. Right? It's just it's a mathematical equation over here. The Rebbeishan tells Moshe, Shlach lecha. If you think it's a good idea, Ladaitcha. If you're interested, you think it's a good idea, you send them. I, I'm not sending them. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not voting on this. I'm abstaining. I don't think it's a good idea. I'm not going to get in the way, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not supporting this. If you think it's a good idea, Moshe, you send them. And we know they ended up going. That means necessarily that Moshe supported the idea. Moshe encouraged it. Moshe sent them. This was Moshe's doing. That, that's, we put this Rashi back into the puzzle. This is Moshe's geshef. This was Moshe's affair over here. And the, 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 the Shiloh is like, Kevald, what's that supposed to mean? Moshe, why is Moshe, with all of his Ruach HaKodesh and with all of his insight and of all his wisdom, why is he sending them around? Why is he sending them? And let's take it a step further. Was Moshe, let's say, duped by them? Was Moshe being naive? Moshe didn't realize that these guys had something up their sleeve. Moshe didn't realize that they were going with the intention of, of, of uh, trying to twist things around and scaring Klai Yisrael, which ended up happening, and saying, uh, it's impossible to take this land. Um, it's too fierce, it's too strong. Moshe didn't have what was going on with these people. He was, he, was, he, was, he was deceived. It's explicit in Rashi that he knew full well what was up with these people. And really, the Pasuk tells us that before he sent them, he took Hosea ben Nun and he threw an extra yud into Hosea's name and Hosea became Yehoshua. Vayikra Moshe lo Yehoshua ben Nun Yehoshua. Moshe called Hosea Yehoshua. He changed his name to Yehoshua. Why did he change it to Yehoshua? Rashi says it was a tefillah. Siat deshmaya. He gave an extra yud May God save you from the evil plan of these evil people, of these bad people. So Moshe knew that these people were, going, were bad people going with a bad plan. 
to the degree that he's davening for Yeshua. So, so Moshe, why are you sending them? And it was Moshe that sent them. This is, this is ascribed for eternity to Moshe. Shlach l'cha anoshim. Moshe, if you want to send them, you send them. And they went, so that means Moshe sent them. And not only that, Rabbi Yisai, this story is going to be retold again right before Tisha B'av in Parshas Devarim. We have the story of the Miraglim again. Oh, Devarim is Mishnah Torah. There's a lot of repetition over there. Devarim, Devarim, which is Shabbos Chazoyim, the Shabbos right before Tisha B'av. And it's technically speaking, Menachem Tzvi Reber's Bar Mitzvah Parsha, but Menachem will be called to the Torah the following Shabbos uh, for his celebration. Okay, just making a... Just making sure everyone's aware of this. Mark it off on your calendars. Parshas Veschanan, Nachamu. That's going to be Menachem's Bar Mitzvah celebrated. But technically speaking, his official Bar Mitzvah Parsha is Shabbos, Chazoin, Devarim, right before Tisha B'Av. A gloomy kind of a week. That's why we call him Menachem. That's why we call him Menachem. He was born on Beis of. His bris was on Tisha B'Av almost 13 years ago. He was born on Beis. So the, the bris was on, on Tess. On Tisha B'Av was his bris. And the Kvar Katuv Besvarim, if you make a bris on Tisha B'av, you're supposed to call the baby Menachem. Yeah. That's right, Menachem Av. Anyway, so his bar mitzvah is coming up. Coming up, it's Hashem. Amen. Uh, anyway, so in Devarim, in Devarim, we have a recap of the story of the Miraglim. And listen to this, listen to this. You guys all approached me, and they said to me, you said to me, let's send out spies. Let's gather information on, on Eretz Yisrael. Let's gather information, bring information back. Okay? And what was, what was Moshe's response? This is a good idea, let's do it. Moshe jumped on board, yeah, let's do it. The two parishes of Mamash go hand in hand. Vayita ve'nayadabar. I thought it was a great idea. Shlach lecha. Moshe thought it was a great idea. This is called Moshe's mission. Moshe is the one that dispatched. And Moshe was in charge of the intelligence committee for gathering intelligence on Palestine. He was the one that sent them out. And yet Moshe knew that these guys were up to no good. He had a daven for Yeshua. Vas epis, what's going on over here? What's going on? How could Moshe just send them to their doom and send Klai Yisrael to such a, such a, you know, an awful fate that this locked us in the desert for 40 years as a result? For 40 years, the entire generation could not go to Eretz Yisrael. Is Moshe sending them? Why didn't Moshe stop them? It's clear from Rashi that Moshe could have stopped them. Moshe could have said, no, don't go, don't go. I'm not masking. Yet, shlach lecha, Moshe sent them, vaita ve'inayadavar. What are we supposed to do with all these questions? What are we supposed to do with the motives of Moshe? And perhaps, Rabbi Yisai, we could conjecture, maybe Moshe didn't realize what was going on in Eretz Yisrael. Maybe Moshe thought that you know, it's, it's all fun and games there. There's a bunch of, uh, bunch of, bunch of backwards folk over there, a bunch of people who, you know, uh, hunter-gatherers or gatherers or just, you know, a bunch of placid, placid, peaceful people will be able to take them over in no time, will run right through the land. Moshe knew what was going on with Eretz Yisrael also. Moshe was not in the dark as to what was going on in Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe goes out, gives a mamish simonim. And here's where things get really strange and really um, baffling. Moshe told them, Rashi explains, that you want to know what you're up against, look to see what kind of cities they live in. Are they living in fortified cities or undefended cities? And if they're living in fortified cities, 
we can take a little more. That means that we'll, you know, they are people who are not so fierce, not so strong. If they're living in unfortified cities, if they're living in cities that don't have walls built around them, that means these guys are really tough because they don't have to build walls to defend themselves. They don't have to build castles. They are relying on their own might. Why on earth is Moshe giving them an insights into um, being able to, to deduce the, the ferocity of the people living in Eretz Yisrael if he really just wants them to have like a nice cakewalk and see all fun and games and it's just a bunch of teddy bears over there and marshmallows, people that couldn't hurt a fly. Why is Moshe giving them this inside information as how to determine how strong, how fierce, how tough they are? Very, very, very strange. The whole thing is like riddled with questions over here when we begin to examine this whole parasha. A, Moshe sending them and B, Moshe sending them armed with information how they'll be able to determine um, just how ferocious this land is and how unbeatable the land is. And Moshe instructs them to bring back fruit too. Moshe says, bring back some of the fruits. Gather the fruits. And we know the fruits were mutant fruits. They're crazy, mutant, mutated fruits that they had there. Huge grapes, huge figs, huge pomegranates. And they come back and they say, yeah, the, fruit, the fruit's mutant. The inhabitants are also mutants over there. Crazy, huge fruits. And they showed Kleisel the grape. The same with this grape is out of crazy proportions. The inhabitants are also of epic proportions. What's Moshe doing? Moshe's like setting everybody up for failure, setting everybody up to get locked in the desert for 40 years. What's going on over here? So Moshe wants to bring in everybody with him. Tamus Nafshi Maplishtim. No, you want to stay another 40 years in the world. That's what I'm saying. Moshe wants to. Uh, yeah, okay. It's a nice suggestion, but we see later that Moshe does the opposite, though, right? We know in Parshas Masay, Hashem tells him that he's not going to die until he leads them into battle against the Majanim, and Moshe goes right away. Moshe's not trying to, you know, get an extra, uh, extra lease on life. Okay, all right. So it's like this, Rabbi. So really, all the questions answer each other up. And let's return to the first question. The first question is really the beginning to put. It's, it's putting all of this together. Rashi says that why do we put Miriam next to the Miraglim? Because the Miraglim saw what happened with Miriam, and they didn't take Musr. They didn't take Musr. They should have taken Musr. And we asked, oh, how are they supposed to take Musr from there? There's a lesson from Miriam saying Lashonar on Moshe that they can apply to not saying Lashonar on Eretz Yisrael, not, you know, seeing the positive in Eretz Yisrael, not seeing the negative in Eretz Yisrael. One is dirt, offer ve'efer, dirt and dust, sticks and bones, and one is the great leader of, of Christ. Of course she got punished. How are they supposed to take Musr from there? So what is Musr, really? What is Musr? Musr doesn't just mean rebuke. Musr doesn't just mean self-improvement. Musr means getting deep down into your kishkas. That's what Musr really is. It's, it's being a lamdin when it comes to yourself. Seeing yourself as a Talmudist. And we've learned many Musrs from here together in the Kailu. We've gone through Evan Shleim Abar Hashem. We've gone through Messias Hasharim. Currently going through Der Hashem. Well, Der Hashem is not really Musr, but a lot of Lamdas there too. And we know by now that all Musr all the time is all about what? Is all about Bina. It's all about Maven Davar Mitaich Davar. It's all about seeing the deeper lesson behind the revealed reality. And being able to say to myself, um, I'd like to start being more generous. 
as everyone starts the same way. I don't like the fact that I have a hard time sharing. I don't like the fact that I have a hard time having company over. I don't have, like the fact that I have a hard time, you know, opening my heart and my house and my car to people. I want to work on being more generous. So when you're, it's not Musr, when you're not doing Musr, working with Musr, you're like, okay, so I'm just going to start being more generous. I'm going to start being more generous. I'm going to force myself to be generous. I'd like to be less angry. I'd like to be more tolerant. Okay, so I'll work on being less angry. Whenever I'm about to get angry, I'll say, don't, don't get angry, don't get angry, don't get angry. So we all know that's doomed to failure. As much as I really want to work, as much as, I, as determined as I, as I am, if I'm just trying to change myself like that, I try and change myself at the surface. Surface changes don't work, and even when they work, they're very temporary, they don't last. Musr is getting behind the scenes, to the courts, to the kishkas. Why is it that I get angry? Why is it that I have a hard time being generous? Is it that I'm too attached to my money? Is it that I don't relate enough to that guy's situation? Is it that I don't have enough belief that all my money is coming from God and it's really just a, a privilege to give it over to someone else? It could be three, four, five different reasons why I'm not generous enough. Musr is about getting into the kishkas. That's what Musr is about always. Understanding ourselves as lamdanim, understanding ourselves as Talmudis, and getting into the deeper idea, the deeper lesson, to, to be able to see beyond the surface. That's what Musr always is, seeing beneath the surface, beyond the surface, to see the principles that are going on, the fundamentals, and to get to the underlying core and kishkas of, of what's happening. Okay, everybody got that? That's what Musr always is. Bechol makam. And when I'm able to get to the core and to the kishkas of, of who I am and where I'm off, I'm able to make changes. Because if I realize that my my failure to be generous is because maybe I don't relate enough to other people. Maybe I'm too apathetic. I'm too apathetic. So how do I work on generosity? In a counterintuitive way, I'll work on being more empathetic, more sympathetic. I'll understand people. I'll get inside their head. I'll get inside their, their, their shoes. I'll, I'll, I'll think to myself, what's it like to be this guy who has to go around city to city to city collecting? What's it like for him? What would it be like for me if I has to do that? Well, I really relate to this guy now. Of course I open my wallet and I give it to him when I realize that that's where I have to work. I work over there. Or maybe if I work on, maybe, maybe I, I realize my, I'm too attached to my money. I have too, I'm too possessive, so I work on, on, on being, not being possessive. I work on opening my hands a little bit, give a 10 cents at a time. I work slowly on just being able to give. Or if it has to do with not realizing that everything I have comes, comes from Hashem himself, I work over there. There's so many multiple places you work, but where you work depends on what you uncovered and discovered. So Moser is a double pronged approach in which A, I have to really figure out what's going on. I don't work at the service ever. And after I figure out what's going on, that directs me in where I need to be working on myself. Clore, everybody chap? So now, Rabbi say, Half of a fellow. Half of a fellow what comes out over here. Again, when we're not working in Musardik, we just see the surface. You see the surface? You make surface changes, surface improvements, and surface things never last. They never work because I'm just trying to hack. It's like, you know, who has gardens over here? What happens when you yank at the weeds? You do gardening, no? What happens when you pull out the weeds that are sticking above the surface of the ground? They grow right back again. That's right, those roots will come right back. You want to do weeding, you have to get to the root. That's what Musr is, getting to the root. Not working Musr is just cutting off the leaves that, that, come, that, that, that are above the ground. When the Miraglim don't take Musr, when they're not working on Musr, so they see Miriam saying Lashnar about Maisha, and they say, oh, she said, of course she got punished, because look, she said Lashnar about the greatest leader of all time, so of course she got punished. What does that have to do with us? We're going to Eretz We have this, maybe a diabolical scheme about saying Lashnar about Eretz but what does Maisha have to do with Eretz He's the supreme leader, of course he's going to get punished, of course he's going to get smashed from Shemaim. He's going to get about Maisha, but we're going to Eretz Yisrael, Eitzim Vavonim, dust and dirt, 
Offer ve'efer, sticks and stones, what does that have to do with us? That's when there's no musr, when you only see the surface. But when there's musr, as Rashi says, they didn't take musr. Musr is, one second, what was the yesoid hadzvar? What was the principle that was going on at the bottom of, 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 the, of, of the, uh, the story over there? It wasn't that she was just punished because she started up with Maish Rabbeinu. She was punished for Diba, for having a negative outlook. Diba is saying, seeing things with negativity, seeing the cup half, a cup half empty, seeing that Hashem doesn't care about it, seeing neglect, seeing the bad and everything. And if that's what, what they, she did wrong, we have to work on not saying Diba, on not seeing the negative, on not having a bad outlook on life. We have to work on that also. We have to work on seeing positive and not negative. That's the first step. Is that that's the most they should have taken is gotten into the kitchen, because it got into the court beneath the surface, beneath the soil. When you're on the surface, yes, there's no relevance from what happened with Miriam Aisha to you. No relevance at all. But when you're working on yourself, Musr Dick, with the Musr outlook, there's relevance everywhere from everything. Everything has relevance. Because you see the principle, you see the underlying fundamentals, and the fundamentals over there is Miriam was looking. At the, at, at, she was looking at, at Sadhara. She saw the negative. She saw the fact that Moshe ran away from Sipoira. She didn't see the positive that Moshe was a Navi above all other Navim and he needed to do this and he had to be at Hashem's beck and call, etc. She saw the negative, not the positive, that was Deba. The Miraglim, if they would have seen that, if they would have seen with a Musr outlook to see beneath the surface, they would have seen as well that that applies to them as well, just as much so when it comes to Eretz Yisrael. See the positive, not the negative. Let's take that a step further. Moshe was aware of whether the Miraglim were off. He is aware that they, are, have, they have a tendency, they're going to see the worst, they're going to see negativity. And the reason they're seeing the bad and everything, and they're seeing everything in a negative, negative light, is why? Is because, what's the underlying problem? As we said before, Musr commands me to do two things. I have to get to the Kishkan, I have to figure out at the core where this everything is really coming from. What's going on at the core with the Miraglim? That they're seeing everything in a negative way, just as Miriam did, and they see the, 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 the half-empty everywhere. What's going on with them? They have a lack of emuna. This at the core, where the Miraglim were ultimately off, is they didn't have enough emuna in Hashem. They didn't have enough belief that Hashem is all-powerful. Hashem will save them. Hashem has a plan. And even if things look crazy and impossible and impassable, insurmountable, Hashem has a plan and Hashem is sending you there, you're going to be okay. They failed to have emuna. They didn't have the proper emuna. And this is actually explicit in, in later, again, in the Chazar, when it comes to Devarim, that, that they, Moshe tells them again in Devarim, when the, with the Chazar and the recap, you guys don't have enough emuna. You don't trust in God. What happens in God we trust? They don't have enough emuna. At the core, they were off on a, a level of emuna. They did not have enough emuna. Moshe is trying to, as a final desperate attempt, to jumpstart their emuna. And he's giving them Musr Avoida. We ask, Hakan Shlach Lacha. Moshe sent them Raglim. The Pashik says in Devarim, I thought it was a good idea, Shlach Lacha. I sent them. Moshe sent them. What's he doing? He's sending Kleisel to their doom. He's, 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 he is sending them to spend another 40 years in the desert. Why is he sending them? He knows that they had a bad age. He knows they're going with a bad plan. The Teretz is, this is a desperate last ditch effort to get the Miraglim to work on the court, to work. Musardik. He's giving them a Musar assignment. You guys are lacking in Amuna. That's why you want to go out to begin with for the reconnaissance, for the spying, for the gathering intelligence. You're lacking in your Amuna. I'm going to allow you to work on your Amuna. This is a last ditch attempt to get you to work on your Amuna. How do you work on your Amuna? If a Yid feels he's lacking in Amuna, the best way to work on Amuna is to force yourself to confront 
the reality that you're absolutely powerless. Rabbi Seidu, what's the, what's the best, best way? This is a, a secret in Yiddishkeit. You want to work on your amuni, your faith in God, your trust in God we trust, and having faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Exposure therapy. The therapists talk about exposure therapy. What's exposure therapy? Expose yourself to a situation where you see that you're utterly powerless, utterly helpless, utterly hopeless, and you realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only source of power. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only one that can save me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the only one that can get me out of this because I, I'm powerless. What brings a Yid to Amuna is the realization that he has absolutely no power. Then he yields everything and submits himself to God. And that realization is meant to bring with it a serenity. A serenity uh, and a peacefulness when I realize I'm just totally powerless. Moshe was trying to do this with the Miraglim and he hints this. Alu Zebanegev. There's almost a Hasidish Shavart now. Okay, but we're allowed to say this. It's Thursday night. We're in the Kahal Beish Shloyman Nadvarn over here. That was the first instruction he gave them. Rise up, go up. This was an aliyah. He's giving them a mission to raise them up. This is an aliyah. He's giving them a halach. How to raise themselves up. You want to work on your amuna? If you plunge to the bottom, you go to... Moshe knew that there were crazy people there. He knew there were, mut he knew there were mutated giants over there. He knew it was nuts. He knew it was crazy. But he was saying, if you go all the way down, that's going to be an aliyah because you'll see that it's, it'll be so clear that you're powerless that you'll realize that Hashem is the only power. Our problem in Amun is when we see we have a little bit of power. We want to go in with our spying mission, with our swords. We're going we're gonna to take it from here, take it from there. What deceives us into not having Amunah is when we think that we, are, we have power. It's the, 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 the sensation and the conviction of possessing power is what gets us to forget about Akash Baruch You guys have forgot about the Rebbein Shalalem because you believe you have too much power. You believe that you have power. Go to Eretz Yisrael and you'll see you have no power. Go to Eretzol, you'll see you're totally helpless, hopeless, and that will be your hope to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to have Amunah, to take Musr! To take Musr, that's what Moshe wants them to do. And ultimately, they didn't get it, it didn't work, but this is what Moshe's plan was, this is what he wanted, and this is where he was coming, and then now we, everything comes together so beautifully, this is where Rashi says, they didn't take Musr, because Rabbi said, we learned to you said what Musr is really all about, Musr is never working on the surface, getting to the core, getting to the kitchkas, the principles, the fundamentals, figuring out what's going on with me at the core, where I have to work at the core, Moshe knew what was going on with them at the core, and he was helping them work on their core, but they did not allow themselves to work on it, and what follows is the rest of the very sad story over here, but now we understand where Moshe is coming from, we understand the juxtaposition, we understand Musr, and everyone should have a wonderful Shabbos, thank you for joining Time. That's right, Menachem's name is Shiach.